our speaker for today and uh, before Brian comes to lead us in scripture and prayer. Uh, Justin Kunkel, I had one of the uh, pleasures of taking over this building, was getting to know Justin. He is works for the Christian Counseling Association of Western Pennsylvania, among many other things that he does. Um, and so he's often up here at the building where he's meeting with clients and doing some uh, counseling. So we get to bump into each other throughout the day from time to time. Um, and through that, realized we have a lot of different connections through different churches on uh, the PCA and around here. And so I appreciate uh, getting to know Justin and really appreciate him coming to speak to us today. So I won't say too much because he'll uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what he does and, and bring us the word today. But we are, are thankful for him uh, being here to speak to us today. <clears throat> we'll go through our service as usual at the end as Justin leads us in the benediction. That'll be kind of our closing, our prayer for the meal and everything. So I I'm done. I'm not coming back up uh, on stage after this. Uh, so as he leads our benediction, that'll be the close. All right. Remain standing for the reading of scripture and prayer. Our passage this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, if you'd like to turn there with me. We're starting in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. The word of God says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of, of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not angry, or be not quick to, in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for yet another Lord's Day and the opportunity to hear from your word. We pray that through Justin's voice this morning and the preaching of the word, you would endow us with all true wisdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Like Dan said, I'm in this building a lot. I'm in some of the offices uh, over here that you guys graciously let us use, so thank you for that. Um, and it's so cool to be up front up here in this room, even though, like I said, I've been building a lot throughout the week. Like Dan said, my name's Justin. 
I work for Christian Counseling Associates of Western PA. Anybody ever hear of that? Uh, it's a counseling association that's actually in four different states now, but it started in Western PA out Greensburg way. And uh, I'm the director of our drug and alcohol counseling uh, part at CCA, Christian Counseling Associates. I've been in the counseling world for about 13 years now. I was just thinking of that, like how long have I been doing this? So not too long, but a little bit of time. Uh, a lot of my experience comes from Adult and Teen Challenge, if anyone's ever heard of that ministry. I worked there for uh, 12 years up in Cheswick, PA, up Route 28 North. You go through all the construction on 28, you eventually get up there to Cheswick. And uh, I'm a graduate of Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary down the road there. Got a Master's of Divinity from there. Like Dan said, I'm in the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. And uh, also went to Regent University for my counseling degree. Been married 10 years this Thursday, coming up. Got two kids, thank you. And... Uh, uh, family can't be here with me today, so it's just me, and uh, I love what I do. I love counseling. I love working with counselors to help counselors get better. I consider it an honor, a pleasure, even to go through the pain that I sometimes can go through, right? Like, when you hear some stories, they're hard to hear. I'm like, wow, like that can weigh on you, but, you know, once I work through all that and make it through that pain sometimes, I look back and I say, God, thank you for this calling that you have on my life to do this work, this deep work of getting to know people and helping them to see where God's at work in their life, even when they can't see it at the time, coming alongside them, looking up to God, looking back on their past with them, looking on their present, hoping for their future. And I do that for my job but we all are called to do something like that as Christians, right? To do that one another ministry with each other. And that's one of the unique emphases and focuses of biblical counseling. So in the counseling world, even in the Christian counseling world, there's a spectrum. On the one side, you have biblical counseling, traces it, its roots back to Jay Adams, and uh, Nuthetic Counseling Movement, which now is still there in the ACBC, American Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And there's a spectrum that goes all the way down to the other side, which this counseling over here doesn't seem very Christian on this side. Um, so, but one of the unique emphasis of biblical counseling is that you can counsel one another. You can help one another in a deeply impactful, purposeful, helpful way. Even if you didn't go to school to get a counseling degree. Because how many of us know that education, formal education, does not always equal actual help, right? Like you could get the formal education and really not be that good at what you do. And I hope that's not me. But... I say that to say you don't need to have a formal education in counseling to help one another. And speaking of helping one another, that's what we see in our text this morning. It's a short verse. I was thinking, what verse can I pick or what passage can I pick that encapsulates 
the essence of biblical counseling. Romans 15, 14 is the one that I ended up picking. So Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And they'll read that text for us. So this is towards the end of the book of Romans. And Paul is saying this about the Christians back at Rome and then also to us this morning through his Holy Spirit. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He has a high view of his people. He's assuming kind of the best of his people here, right? Like those strong terms there to be full of goodness, being filled uh, with all knowledge. So that's the spirit that I come in here with. It's like, I don't really know you guys too well, but I want to assume the best of you guys, right? That you guys, that this description can also fit you guys. That you have goodness, you have knowledge, You have the ability to instruct one another. If you were to break that verse down into two categories, it captures the essence of what it means to do counseling, to help one another. The first category is the person of the counselor, who you are. Second category is the practice of the counselor, what you do. And that's going to be the focus of my sermon this morning, is just to unpack those things just a little bit. The person of the counselor, or who you are as a Christian, when I say the word counselor, I'd like you also to please think Christian. That means a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a counselor, right? Even if you don't do that for your job. So the person of the counselor and the practice of the counselor And we see that the ability to instruct stems from maturity in character and content. So goodness, another word for that here could be character. Maturation in character and maturation, maturity in content or knowledge, that feeds instruction. If maturation, then instruction. As character and content knowledge increases, so does the ability to provide instruction to one another. And this goodness that we see at the start of this verse, uh, that you yourselves are full of goodness, this goodness or this character develops daily, not in a day, as we contend with ourselves and depend on Christ. That's what we're called to do in the Christian life, right? Is to contend with ourselves, contend with Satan, and to depend on Christ. If we're just contending with ourselves and only battling our sin and Satan and forgetting to depend upon Christ, what are two things that could ultimately be the result of that? The one is despair. 
Did you ever look in the mirror in the morning or sing these songs here at worship and think, wow, my last week was not very good. I'm not even worthy to sing these songs. Thankfully, you sing sound theological songs here to also talk about the grace of God in a way that's hopeful and the righteousness of Christ. But say we're forgetting that. We're forgetting to depend on Christ as we contend with ourselves. We're left despairing, right? Did you ever, were you ever there in your life? Utter despair that leads nowhere. Well, even God's at work even in that moment, right? Like he's even using that despairing thought to call out to you and say, I'm here. I'm here even in that despair. I'm using your own desperation to get your attention. Don't wait till the despair is gone and then come to me. Come to me now, even in this despair. And that's what you can do to one another, for one another, right? As you share in the hallway or in the room after service about what's going on, that hard stuff. Other result, though, of if you just contend with your sin, contend with Satan. And hey, it was a pretty good week, right? You know? Oh, okay. I don't know if I really need Christ all that much. Pride. It's the ultimate response there, too. If our contention is not in dependency upon Christ. So this goodness, or what I'm also saying is a cinnamon here, uh, synonym, <laughs> uh, cinnamon, thinking of Thanksgiving coming up, huh? Uh, character is a cinnamon, synonym for goodness. And we know, right, from elsewhere in Romans, Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8, that nothing good dwells in us. That is in our flesh. And that's encouraging to me. Is that encouraging to you? To hear nothing good dwells in you? It's strange, isn't it? It's paradoxical. I love it. When God says that, I'm like, there's hope for me. There's hope for me. Because I'm a counselor, but I don't have it all together. Right? I'm a pilgrim along the way in this journey like we sung. You know? So, daily development of goodness or character depends upon the spirit. It's not a man-centered self-improvement. It's a God-centered goodness character development. Christian character is not a one-time event, though. Right? I mean, I wish it was. I wish it could just be like, boom, you're good. All good now. Like God does the, boom, you're good in justification. Right? How many of us know? One time act of God's free grace where God declares us righteous, all sins forgiven, past, present, and future. But it's even better than that. You get something added to you, the righteousness of Christ. Right? What Christ deserved, you got. And what you deserved, Christ got. That's one time act declarative act of God's free grace and then the slow process of the work of God's free grace in you of sanctification starts after that, right? It's this character maturation, the goodness development in you develops daily, not in a day, but there's hope because your dependency is on Christ there and your standing with God does not go up and down based on your character that day, right? It's based on whose character? 
Christ's. And when we preach that to ourselves, we're going to be better helpers to one another, able to instruct one another. So this Christian character maturation, it's an ongoing thing. It develops daily, not in a day. And uh, along those lines, if you look at your handout, I don't know if I printed enough out, I'm sorry. Maybe you don't have one. Uh, The very top, there's a definition of biblical counseling, which I'm not going to go through. If you really want a better definition than I gave you this morning, you can read that. And then the second part of the handout, it's the Biblical Counseling Coalition, which is a great organization. You could look at their website. They have a confessional statement, and it reads as follows. This is at like the opening of the, of the confession uh, on biblical counseling. The introduction, in Christ alone. The goal of biblical counseling is spiritual, relational, and personal maturity. There's that maturity idea, maturation, growing. As evidenced in desires, thoughts, motives, actions, and emotions that increasingly reflect Jesus. We believe that such personal change must be centered on the person of Christ. We are convinced that personal ministry centered on Christ and anchored in Scripture offers the only lasting hope and loving help to a fallen and broken world. We confess that we have not arrived. So in order to start to help someone else, you don't necessarily have to have arrived. Now, it's going to be kind of tough, though, just real quick, a little side note here. Like if I want to help somebody struggling with drugs and alcohol, which just so happens to be my background struggle from 18 years ago, by the grace of God. I don't know, you know, I don't know how much I can help somebody if I'm like actively really struggling with that still yet, you know? Like I could still maybe help in a way, but it probably would help for me to have some growth in that area before I really started to help someone else. You know what I mean? So there's some kind of exceptions, qualifications here that we just don't have time to, to all, for all the nuance, but I wanted to just share that one nuance. Back to the definition on the handout. We comfort and counsel others only as we continue to receive ongoing comfort and counsel from Christ and the body of Christ. We admit that we struggle to apply consistently, amen, all that we believe. We who counsel live in process, just like those we counsel. So we want to learn and grow in the wisdom and mercies of Christ. And if I, if you can enter into that conversation that you're about to have with somebody in that spirit, in the spirit of process, this is a process you're going through, you're going to be better able to help the other person, right? Because can't you tell when somebody's coming to you and they have a word of correction for you and they really want to lay it on you? And they come in in this spirit, just almost anger at you. You find it a little harder to listen to them sometimes, maybe. Like, you know, they're being judgmental. Now, we should judge sin, but I should not be judgmental, right, as a spirit about me. 
This is saying, hey, think about how you're entering into the conversation, right? How you're doing as a person, the person of the counselor, as you walk into that room, right? The atmosphere that you're going to create is going to help that person to change, right? Thank God it's not all dependent on that, right? We have the third person in the room at all times, God, the Holy Spirit. It's not just me and the other person in that office over there. If that was it, if, my, if the hope in helping people change was just in me, I would have quit. The first time I experienced burnout a long time ago. <laughs> but no, it's not just me, it's me, the other person, and God in there. But we should still think about how we're showing up, right? How we're showing up into the coffee shop down the road when you go to talk to your friend. So we confess that we have not arrived. We live in the process, just like those we counsel. And along those lines, let's slow down now and think about these things. Ask God to search our hearts, to slow down. That's part of what you're doing in counseling too, right? It's to slow things down, to step back, slow it down, simplify. This is what the person's going through. It can feel chaotic a lot of times, right? The person you're trying to help, you should slow it down, simplify. But here it's where you think of yourself, the person of the counselor, right? If I'm struggling to slow down inside in how I'm showing up because I'm frantic, well, I'm going to have a harder time doing that with you. But we're going to slow down now, step back, and let's think to ourselves, what are the barriers in our own life right now to our own character growth, to our own goodness growth? What's getting in the way? What's that thing physically, nutritionally, socially, vocationally, spiritually? visually what we're looking at and all those other categories that you can think of that are getting in the way what keeps popping up even sometimes you whack it down like the whack-a-mole game at the carnival but man that thing keeps popping up back again can today be the day that you start to make some decisive change with that thing don't give up don't give up. Don't just resign to I must just be this way and I can't change. Right? What's that thing that's getting in the way? Maybe it's the thing you don't want to look at. Right? You hear that a lot. That thing you need to change is where you don't want to look. It's hidden where you don't want to look. Could be that. It also sometimes could be right in front of us. You know? It's right in front of us. Maybe another person continues to bring it up to you. Maybe no one knows, and that makes it even harder, right? Because you feel alone, isolated. Man, it's hard to be there, right? Have you ever been there? Christians can get there too. Christians can get depressed too. It's a book title out there somewhere. David, when you look at David, okay, so like uh, the diagnosis of, of major depression, 
certain descriptions of behavior and mood and whatnot. Do you know David in the Old Testament fits the criteria for major depression in some of his Psalms? Like I can show you in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition text revision, which is the newest one out there now. He fits all of it. Right? So he went through some stuff. There were some barriers in his life along the way. But ultimately, that was not the final story, right? God's glory can be incorporated into your story even if it's dark, even if it's hopeless. So those barriers, what do we need to decrease? What do we need to cease? What do we need to accept and say, God, even though I'm like this, you could still use me. Even though I don't want to come to church. Anyone ever feel that way? I mean, I felt like that. You know, I'd rather not come. God, even though I don't feel like doing it, Lord, change my heart. Help me to do the action of coming to church and then the emotion of wanting to be, be there will follow. And Lord, I'm not a hypocrite because I'm admitting I don't want to be there. Hypocrisy in that case would be, oh yeah, I want to be here. This is great. But inside, I'm not feeling it. No, you're not a hypocrite if you admit you don't want to be there, but you're doing. That's not hypocrisy, right? Flip side of the coin, uh, just watching my time. I'm probably going to have to end the sermon early. I'm not going to get through the whole thing, but that's okay. I want to respect your time. I'm a guest here. It's not about me. It's about you guys. Other side, though, what are the enhancers? What are the things that are working in your life to develop that goodness, that Christian character? Because you're doing some things right, too, by the power of the Holy Spirit for God's glory. There's some right things happening, some good things happening that you're doing that are maybe habitual now, where you're not even thinking about it, that good thing you do daily or almost every day. Take that to God now. Now is a perfect week to go to God with gratitude and thankfulness for that. God, you know what? Wow, you have really helped me to read the Bible every day, let's say. And it's just habitual to you. Wow, that's amazing, right? That's like a miracle in a certain sense. Maybe not strict definition of miracle of like a healing. But, you know, like spiritually, that's a miracle, because by nature, what? We hate God, love our sin. We don't want anything to do with this. So if you have something to do with this, wow, that's amazing. It's an enhancer to your goodness, to your character development. So goodness or character develops daily, not in a day. As we contend with ourselves, depend on Christ, as we decrease those barriers and increase those enhancers, and that had to do with the verse, part of the verse, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Secondly, Paul also talks about knowledge, that you're filled with all knowledge. That could also be translated as having been filled, equipped with knowledge, complete in knowledge. So I don't think Paul is saying like you can arrive totally at full knowledge, all knowledge. Of course not. Other parts of scripture explicitly teach 
that we here on earth, maybe even in heaven too, will not have all perfect knowledge of God. So scripture interprets scripture, right? You guys know that interpretive principle. So where it's less clear, you go to where it's more clear to get insight on the less clear. So this could be less clear, right? Filled with all knowledge? What? Like what? I have all knowledge? I'm supposed to have all knowledge? No. But I need to be growing in my knowledge. I need to be maturing in my knowledge. What about knowledge when it comes to counseling? There's a lot of different kinds of counseling knowledge we could talk about, but I just want to focus on the knowledge of hope. The knowledge of hope or hope knowledge. We have uh, Colossians chapter 1 where Paul says about hope, our hope is laid up for us in heaven. How are we doing with that, with remembering our hope? And I want to share this here as we uh, start to come to a close. Do, Do you think your hope in someone else's ability to change contributes to that person actually changing? So like if I walk in that office over there, which I'll be here Tuesday doing some counseling, and I'm walking in there, even though intake has given me the information about this person and this is not their first time in counseling, they're going through a lot of stuff, I'm feeling inadequate, which I feel a lot of times over there, But if I can say to myself something like, all right, this person could change. If I walk in there with that mindset, with that way of thinking, could that that actually help that person to change? There's actually research out there that says yes. So if I expect that you can change. If I have a high belief in you that you can change, that will actually help you to change. There was a study done on alcoholics back at a rehab, I think it was in the 70s. It's called the HARP study, High Alcohol Recovery Potential. What these researchers did was they said to the counselors in the rehab, hey, there's like a group of people here in this rehab that took this test, this personality test, And the result of that test shows that they have a high alcohol recovery potential. In other words, high ability, likelihood that they're going to change. All right? And they told the counselors that. And then they said to the counselors, these are those people. So counselors knew who the harps were. High alcohol recovery potential people. Guess what happened? Those people actually ended up doing better. Most of those people ended up doing better according to all this criteria. I mean, one of them was they didn't drink anymore (laughs) for at least that period of time when they were doing the study. But guess what? The counselor or the researchers tricked the counselors. Those, Those people never took a test. Those people never took a test. There was no way to kind of guess is this person going to change or not ahead of time? They just told the counselors, these people have a high recovery potential. But there was no evidence that they really did. But that belief in the counselors' minds helped them to change. 
I love that. Isn't that so awesome? Like, my thoughts about you can help you. Now you say, Justin, ooh, I thought you went to like RPTS down the road and like supposed to be reformed here. Like you're sounding a little bit man-centered. Human-centered here a little bit. You have like a high belief in people. Humanism. If you don't have a high belief in the ability to change, I would say you, you have a low view of God. That is more of a humanistic view of people. Why? Because my hope in you being able to change is not in you. It's in God's power to change you. Right? So my hope is in God that he can change you. Is God powerful to change? Can he change people? Yes. So we walk into that conversation as we're going to help each other as you guys move forward as a church to counsel one another. Having a high expectation in the person. Putting a 10 on their head even though they're not acting like a 10 right now. Not because of their inherent goodness, but because of God's power, God's goodness, that he can work something in their life, that he can help them. Um... That's also known as the Rosenthal effect, if you ever wanted to study that, or the Pygmalion effect, going back to the Greek myth, Pygmalion. Uh, All right, so maturation, or goodness and character, they develop daily, not in a day, as we contend with ourselves and depend on Christ. Decrease those barriers that are getting in the way. What's that thing? getting in the way will you start to do some work on it this week as you depend on God to give you the power to work on that thing right effort in the Christian life is not synonymous with works righteousness right to put in effort could be a sign you are justified it is a sign you're justified in other words God doesn't live the Christian life for you right like, he doesn't live the life, the Christian life for you. I wish he did. And in a sense, he kind of did with Christ. I mean, he, the person and work of Christ. But my actual life now on this earth, he doesn't live the Christian life for me, but I can't live it without him. Will you put some effort in this week as you rely on God to get rid of the barriers, to enhance the enhancers? And uh, skipping... To the end here on your handout there's questions so I had that under the ability to instruct section of uh, the the verse the ability to instruct one another what does that mean how do we do that one of the ways we can do that is through questions good questions that we ask one another at the right time in the right spirit not that you feel like you're being interrogated right after you understand the other person um, and what they're going through, in your tone, your body language, how you ask the question, wow, could be powerful in helping that person to change. So here's some good questions as we close. What do you want to see instead of the problem? There's a problem. What do you want to see in place of it? What could you replace that problem with? When that problem is going away slowly, what can start to 
grow in that area now? What do you want to see instead of the problem? What would you have to do to really lose all hope? It sounds like a trick question, huh? What would you have to do to lose all hope? What do you have to do to wreck your life right now and make it even worse? They call that flagging the minefield in one of the counseling theories. You've got to flag the minefield. You've got to be able to say, okay, uh, things are bad, but how, what would I have to do to make it even worse right now? That can really help someone, too, who doesn't know what next steps to take. They're like, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I don't know God's will for my life. Okay, connect with them, love them, try to understand them. Don't give them a quick answer. Don't give the quick question, but at the right time, give the question. Well, what don't you want to do? Can we at least figure that out? What don't you want to do? Okay, these are the things to avoid. We're going to avoid those. How does each person of the Trinity relate to your problem? Father, Son, Spirit, trying to get them to think about God being involved in their life. And this one is one that I use a lot here in this building. Um, What's one improvement you want to tell me about next time? That's what we want to do as biblical counselors is move people toward God-dependent action. Awareness and then action. That question moves them toward action. What's one improvement? You want to come back to church next week? And even if you don't tell anyone, just you know between you and God as you sit here. All right. I've not arrived at perfection, but I've changed my direction. Would you do that this week? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that... uh, you just give us all these amazing resources that are out there, all this research on behavior change and how people change. Uh, but we all know that that is not the ultimate authority. Your scripture is the ultimate authority. It's the norm that norms all other lesser norms. And we thank you that your scriptures have all we need for life and godliness. Lord, and I pray for us together. God, that you would change us more and more this week. Make us more like Christ. Give us the courage to change the things we can, the acceptance to accept the things we can't change. And we pray all these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.